meeting of the Health Service System Board to order for May the 25th, 2023. Would you please stand and join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance? <clears throat> Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Before we begin our roll call for this meeting, I'd like to introduce a new member of our board. Uh, as you know, we have elected representatives and appointed representatives, and one of the appointments is that we must have a member of the Board of Supervisors. And after much diligent searching, we found one, and he's with us today. That's uh, District, District 6 Supervisor uh, Matt Dorsey. I'd just like to give a brief bio on Supervisor Dorsey. He has a, large, a long uh, city government association, both with the uh, San Francisco Police Department as the communications director, and then uh, serving for nearly 14 years, in, over 14 years, in the city uh, attorney's office, where he helped to support groundbreaking cases around marriage, equality, educational access, public health, tenants' rights, and workers' protections. Prior to joining uh, the uh, police department in 2020, Supervisor Dorsey led a tobacco-free kids communication strategy for the 2019 No on Prop C campaign. And as you may recall, that proposition was soundly defeated, uh, uh, by, even though there was a multi-million dollar campaign by the vaping giant Jewel Labs. Supervisor Dorsey is committed to providing paths to recovery for those struggling with addiction, supporting new housing at all levels to meet uh, growing demand, and investing in public safety resources to assure that all people can feel safe in their communities. Supervisor Dorsey, we welcome you to this board. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, please call the roll. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call, starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Present. Commissioner Canning. Present. Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Commissioner Follinsby. Present. And Commissioner Zvansky um, will be arriving soon. Shortly. All right, thank you. We have a quorum. Uh, the next item is uh, general public comment. Agenda item number three is general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to speak on any matter within the board's jurisdiction that is not on the agenda, including requesting that a board, uh, the board place a matter on a future agenda item. I'll be reading our full instructions. The Health Service Board welcomes public comment during the public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the beginning of the meeting and an opportunity to comment on each agenda item on the agenda. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments will be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comment for people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count toward that 30-minute limit. 
Remote public comments um, via WebEx are that the members of the public attending the meeting via phone um, calling in 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter access code 2596-583-2476, then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password 1145, then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue. And when you hear the prompt, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You will be unmuted and then, <coughs> unmute and then muted when your time has expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand icon will appear next to your name. When you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. When you hear me say, welcome caller, you'll begin speaking, <coughs> and when your time has expired, you'll be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand at the end of speaking. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although they may remain anonymous. I'll give an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call, you'll be placed back on mute, and I'll unmute the next caller. We'd like to thank SFGov TV and Media Services for sharing this meeting with the public. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment, and I'll be checking to see if there's anyone in our remote public comment queue at this time. <coughs> we have four callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. I'll take a, a five-second pause to see if anyone would like to raise their hand. No callers have raised their hand at this time. Public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. Uh, we have a particular focus for this special meeting. Uh, normally there are other board matters like financial reports, uh, a director's report, a president's report, and then any specialized items that are on the agenda along with rates and benefits. A few years ago, this board reconfigured its standing committees and we decided that we would do rates and benefits as a committee of the whole, rather than having a subcommittee review it and then come to the board uh, with another review of the same material. So all of us are acting, if you will, as a full board on the rates and benefits item. The structure of this meeting is rates and benefits. And I would like to make a few opening uh, comments to put a context around uh, the action items that uh, follow on this agenda. Uh, we have since January been very diligently looking at a number of issues that have been impacting the results of the rates and benefits that you see before you today. And I would just like to go back to the presentation that was made at our last board meeting in May uh, by uh, our chief financial officer, Hussein, and our lead actuary, Mike Clark, because that really begins the framework and the influencer, if you will, for a lot of the outcomes that you're going to see in these action items. They updated a report that they had provided to the board in February, and there were large uh, drivers, if you will, that influence the overall trend, underlying trend for uh, what would later uh, translate to us as health premium cost uh, coming from our health plans. Uh, 
one of the issues that we've noticed over the past two years that there, we have had a very substantial underutilization of health plan uh, services, and that's largely be dr been driven by the pandemic. And we knew that, and we knew also that at some point we would be coming out of the pandemic and people would be then going back for uh, various uh, services utilizing the health plan resources that they had not used during the pandemic. We also knew that over this two to three year period of time, there's been a very large disruption in the labor force across the entire uh, labor force, particularly in healthcare services. And we have been impacted as a system in our operations. We are about 50% staffed at this point in time. And I look at our chief operating officer to see if that's an approximation. And we've been uh, diligently recruiting and uh, pressing and so forth to get more uh, folks in our operations to assist with members' uh, queries and so forth in our client service area. But the health systems have also been impacted by those same forces. We also know that there have been increased chronic conditions that have been magnified by the pandemic and that too has had an impact on the utilization and the healthcare trend. There's been a substantial increase in mental health services and substance abuse services uh, during this period of time. And then there has been cost shifting from the federal government to the health plans in terms of how they are reimbursing. There's a whole coding reimbursement structure that's coming into place uh, during this pl plan year. And we know that there has been uh, some efforts to restrict how people will qualify for Medicare at the state level. And so knowing these trends and these drivers were going to be there and having an update on this last month, we as a board, and I looked around, uh, I wasn't presiding at the last meeting for personal reasons, but I noticed that we had zero callers on the line and no one in the chamber during the public comment period about this particular report and most of the other proceedings of the board uh, last time. And that's been true for a couple of months and we have been trying to diligently uh, show uh, not only the external trends that were going to impact the re this result that we're going to be seeing today, but also taking a very good look at our own demographics and the change uh, of factors and utilization within our own claim system and analysis. And we had that report brought before us. We knew that Aon was bringing to us an expectation that there was going to be a core 7% rate, if you will, of, of trend. And that is almost double what we saw the year before the core medical inflationary trend double in one year. And we've had indications of that as we've worked with our plan, health plan partners, as our staff has gone into analysis and discussion, negotiating around the contract renewals. And we've also know that there are any number of other factors in pharmacy and, and other types of uh, services 
in the health plans that are also influencing these trend factors. So the question for us as a board and as a system is how can we respond to these things? And we would like to be masters of the universe and say, okay, we can control all of these factors and we can ultimately influence and make the unilateral decisions about what the total cost of increase is going to be and what we're going to pay for it. Well, we're not masters of the universe. We find that we've got some tools that we can exercise as a board, some we have to make recommendations to other bodies here in the city, other administrative offices in the city, before we can actually act on them and incorporate them into our approach with the health plans. There are probably three large buckets that we will be dealing with, not only in this plan year, but in the coming two years of our strategic plan around these issues. One of them is cost shifting. And as soon as we say that, I feel a very mild earthquake under my seat because people in this room know that if we're saying cost shifting, is that from to the employer or is it to the employees? Well, it may be that we have to look at both of those things, but we can't do that unilaterally as a board. It requires actual contract negotiations, negotiations with the unions of the city, and so forth, and that has to be put through the Department of Human Resources, and then actual collective bargaining agreements have to be struck, and so forth. And do you do that out of cycle? No, you don't. But as we go forward, will we be trying to look at those issues? We don't know. There's also, in the cost-shifting area, uh, things that we could be looking at in terms of uh, income-based contributions uh, that you, uh, people earning certain amounts of money would pay a slightly higher premium than those paying uh, that are earning less. There are any number of uh, organizations that I'm familiar with that do base their premiums on the gross earnings of employees. But if we were to do something like that, that again is not a unilateral decision by this board. It has to go through a whole process. <clears throat> we could talk about increasing the benefit waiting uh, period before you become eligible for benefits. A change like that would require the same type of structured uh, discussions, negotiations, and so forth. So just to look at this from a cost-shifting standpoint is not a unilateral decision by this board. It would be something that we'd have to look at, propose, and then have it fit in with the larger strategies of the city as an employer. Another broad area is to take a look at the delivery system and the various plans that we offer. And that strikes at the issue of plan design. You just can't go in one moment to a health plan and say, hey, we want to change our health plan design, and therefore we want you to give us a quote on this new plan design in one necessary season. It will take some uh, effort on the plan's part to come up with a response to the design options that we're, uh, we're suggesting. They have to price them out. 
We have to look at them to see if they fit with what we're trying to do, and it's a back and forth. But it's not something that can be immediately implemented when we hear that we're going to be uh, possibly faced with large premium increases. There's also the issue of pharmacy management. And the issue of pharmacy management is a very complex one. We don't control what uh, the pharmacy benefit managers do, but we try to look at the various incremental uh, systems of rebates and so forth. But again, it's a matter of costs that are being driven by other forces outside of our control. The last big area that we can begin to look at is I, we could also, under plan offerings, eliminate certain benefits. But when you start to do that, you then go into the competitive recruitment market because the benefits that we might be eliminating may be the very ones that are attracting employees to go with another employer. So again, our options are li limited. Lastly. There's the whole area of administrative and operational changes to simplify those activities either in-house or through our partner carriers. One of the big levers in that area is to go out and do competitive bidding on the health plans. That is a massive undertaking, and it takes at least a year to get the RFP to go uh, into the marketplace and so forth. So it wouldn't have any immediate impact on any current plan year, but you'd be looking at a new plan year beyond that. So if we were to go out and competitively bid this year, had we done that, it would be something that could impact 2024. So if we're to undertake that in 2024, it won't be until 2025 before any competitive bidding changes could be made. So uh, the other side of that is that we might say, okay, let's uh, buckle up and begin to do our own thing internally, beef up this, our own healthcare system uh, resources to maybe directly contract with health plans and uh, directly contract uh, with others, maybe create a, a, a collaborative to uh, bid with uh, partner companies or organizations with health plans or maybe move to align with CalPERS in some way so that we create a larger purchasing block in the marketplace. Any of that type of uh, administrative or operational change, again, is something that will take either time to consider both the pros and cons as well as to begin to implement that. So we're left with very, very few outcomes other than trying to educate ourselves on where we are today, how we got here, and to begin to publicly share and educate as we've tried to do over these past several months in these meetings uh, to the membership as well. So the results that we're looking at today are not something that sort of jumped full-grown from the brow of Zeus. It just sort of like came out of nowhere. We've had months of effort of analysis, discussion, negotiation, and here we are today. 
and we hope that as we go through public comment uh, that that background that I provided will help to frame the discussion. Uh, we are on a timetable. Ultimately, these rates have to go before the Board of Supervisors. We had to provide a preliminary estimation of costs. We knew it was going to be higher, and we know that next year, just like rust, premiums will probably go up again. It's just like rust. It's always with you. The question is how much? And we will try diligently as a board and through our staff and actuary and working with our health plans to try to come out of that process with something that is in a gr more agreeable results than we might see today. But any of these larger changes will indeed take time. And I just wanted to put that out there as part of the opening comments as we consider these particular action items during the course of this meeting. So I thank you for your indulgence and patience for allowing me to speak. At this point, we will move to item number four. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, agenda item number four is the presentation on the 2023 rates and benefits calendar for the plan year 2024. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Executive Director Abby Yant. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, the rates and benefits calendar obviously was adjusted for today's meeting. It will also, um, uh, we have uh, put a temporary hold on a, uh, should we need a second meeting in June following the Medicare presentations on June 8th uh, the, the, at the regular meeting and then we'll have a temporary hold on uh, June 12th. Um, and that will get us in just in the nick of time um, into uh, to be able to introduce the legislation at the Board of Supervisors on the 16th of June. Are there any questions from the board about the rates and benefits calendar? If not, we will open it up to public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. So we have four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. I'll indicate when there are no more callers in the queue and you'll hear any brief silence as we transition between callers. As a reminder to callers, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. No one has raised their hand for the public comment queue. Public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. We'll now move to item number five. Agenda item number five, health plans 2024 rate summary, active employee and early retiree health plans. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Mike Clark with Aon.
Mike Clark, Aon. Uh, especially nice to meet you, Supervisor Dorsey. Um, I'm here to lead a discussion as an overview to the uh, three subsequent presentations I'll make today, uh, asking for approval of recommendations for rating for uh, most of the active employee and early retiree health plans for 2024, uh, knowing that one of those plans for 2024 rates uh, was approved at the last board meeting, uh, the HealthNet Canopy Care Plan. So on the first page, uh, just summarizing uh, what you'll see today uh, presented for uh, the recommendation uh, recommendation for rate changes uh, for each of the uh, health plans uh, where again health net canopy care was approved last meeting uh, for the blue shield access plus uh, plan and its uh, corollary for the mixed Medicare uh, families with United Healthcare uh, suggesting a 14.4 percent increase uh, for the Blue Shield Trio plan uh, with this associated doctor's EPO plan for the mixed Medicare families, 2.9% increase. Uh, for Kaiser, uh, presenting two different versions of rate cards uh, for your review today, 12.5% uh, increase if the same design uh, is maintained for 2024, as well as the recommended approach to match the major Blue Shield and HealthNet HMO uh, plan design, that would be a 10.8% rate increase. And then for the non-Medicare uh, PPO, a recommended increase of 1.7%. So just a little background detail, starting on page three, uh, for the Blue Shield HMOs, again, 14.4% uh, uh, for Access Plus, 2.9% for TRIO. Uh, there was a substantial difference in the plan experience for each of these programs uh, between Access Plus and TRIO in 2022. Uh, which we reviewed with you in the March uh, 23rd board meeting. Uh, there was, as a result, a increase uh, in the rate stabilization adjustment that also impacts rates, uh, transitioning from a buy down uh, via surplus in 2023 rating to a buy up uh, via deficit for 2024 rating. But as we reviewed with you and uh, gained your approval in April, uh, there is a benefit in the rating for this plan from the one-time uh, Sutter Legal Settlement. And so that is an added buy-down in 2024 rates. So we'll review that in the next presentation. Uh, for Kaiser, 12.5% uh, increase for the same plan design or 10.8% increase if the plan design were to alter uh, to match major features with the Blue Shield and HealthNet HMO plans. Uh, this compares to a 3.9% rate increase uh, that occurred into the 2023 plan year, the current plan year. Uh, the increase mostly reflects escalated cost trend factors uh, that President Scott, as you alluded to, uh, Chief Financial Officer Hussein and I presented at the last board meeting on May 11th, including labor shortages, inflation supply chain uh, disruptions, increasing demand for care, increasing prescription drug costs, and provider challenges. So if you look at that status quo 12.5% increase, uh, roughly 4% is based on plan experience, uh, which we reviewed with you in the April board meeting, and then about 8.5% due to these expense escalation factors. For the non-Medicare PPO, um, as we reviewed with you in the April meeting, uh, the experience from 2021 to 2022 largely tracked uh, with our expected 7% uh, trend, 
but there is a larger benefit in the non-Medicare PPO um, rating from the Sutter Legal Settlement, and that's what brings the recommended rate for the non-Medicare PPO to 1.7%. Just to give context for the distribution of SFHSS membership uh, from the 2023 demographics report, you can see the headcount uh, for both active employees and early retirees uh, by each of these plans. You know, for active employees, uh, Kaiser is the dominant plan, uh, about 62% of total enrollment, uh, followed by the Blue Shield Access Plus plan at around 2022%, uh, uh, Blue Shield Trio at about 11%, uh, and then uh, smaller percentages for the other plans. Uh, for early retirees, almost half are enrolled in the Kaiser plan with, again, Access Plus and TRIO uh, having higher enrollments. But on the non-Medicare PPO side, you do see a much higher uh, percentage of early retirees in that plan, mostly uh, driven by individuals who live outside the Bay Area, where as retirees, uh, this is their only option made available. And that's the choice not available uh, designation for their pricing. So pages six and seven uh, just contain a high-level overview of projected 2024 monthly rates. Um, for all plans except Kaiser, uh, pages six and seven look the same. Uh, we're not making design change recommendations on those plans today. Uh, for Kaiser, page six contains what rates would look like uh, for the status quo plan design if there was not plan design change for 2024. And page seven, includes what rates, uh, contributions, and uh, member contributions would look like if there were plan design changes uh, adopted as recommended uh, today. And then the final page of this report uh, just includes the 2023 uh, plan year rates, employer contributions, and member contributions, uh, just for comparative reference. All right, are there any questions on this? presentation from the board. Uh, Commissioner Fowler. Thank you very much. I think this is a really useful overview. And I think as we go through the individual items, um, <clears throat> we'll understand, you know, maybe better. But I think I just want to remind myself and everyone that this is a one-year renewal cycle. We're not yet looking at, we don't have guarantees for 2025 or 2026. And I just point out that the impact on the, um, of the one-time Sutter Legal Settlement, which is a one-time, we won't see this again um, from this pot of money, um, had a rather tremendous impact on the um, non-Medicare PPO plan. Um, and there are a large number of early retirees in that plan. And so they sort of benefit this year from that. But um, I think we will look at 2025 and we can't come up with some mechanisms to address the increasing costs of healthcare uh, across the board, some of these other groups that maybe uh, you know got got away this year uh, will be you know important to recognize the stress in 2025. And I just like to point it out, and I think this really adequately um, and brilliantly summarizes this. This is just a harbinger of things to come. Now, thank you for your commentary. Just one clarification: there may be additional Sutter Legal Settlement dollars um, that apply for 2025 rating. You know, depending on what still comes in, it will not be projected to be nearly the amount. Yeah. 
um, that has come in already that was approved um, at the April board meeting. Are there other comments, concerns, questions, issues from the board at this point? Uh, thank you, Mike, and you'll be back. We know that. Uh, so we'll take public comment at this time. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment and no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. I'll look to see if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. We have four callers in the queue at this time. Zero callers have raised their hands to speak. A reminder to all callers, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. I'll give five more seconds and then we'll close public comment. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. Public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. We'll now move to item number five. President Scott, I believe agenda item number six. I'm sorry. Is that? Item six. Okay. Agenda item number six is review and approve the non-Medicare Blue Shield of California, flex-funded HMO, and United Healthcare self-funded EPO medical RX plans for 2022 rates and contributions. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with Aon. Mike Clark, Aon. Uh, presenting on the Blue Shield of California HMO and the corollary United Healthcare EPO uh, plans, the latter applying for mixed non-Medicare, mixed Medicare family members, uh, where one or more uh, family member is enrolled in the United Healthcare Medicare Advantage plan. So I'll do a brief uh, rate setting methodology preface, uh, lead through a renewal summary of what's creating uh, the recommended increases for each of these plans, uh, presentation of the rate cards um, proposed for 2024 for the plans in closing with recommendation for Health Service Board action. One reminder before I begin, we specifically order these presentations and these action items how we have, for instance, doing this H Blue Shield HMO presentation first before the non-Medicare uh, PPO presentation because there are elements of the non-Medicare plan pricing that are dependent on this. So for instance, the provision in the MOU that the highest cost plan has an employer contribution uh, geared to the level of the second highest cost plan means Access Plus uh, would need to be approved before we can approve rate cards uh, for the non-Medicare PPO. And then also the choice not available, the more preferential uh, member contribution um, scenario for the non-Medicare PPO plan is tied to Access Plus uh, contributions as well. And so uh, just wanted to remind everybody that's why we order uh, these presentations uh, the way they do because of some dependencies on the non-Medicare PPO uh, that rely on how the rate cards are set for the Access Plus plan. Thank you for that clarification, Mike. <coughs> So just real quick, there are three types of funding methods, uh, self-funded, flex-funded, and fully insured. And you can see the descriptions 
here at the top of page four, uh, the Blue Shield plans, Access Plus and TRIO, are flex-funded plans. Uh, the Select EPO, which again is there for Medicare families, uh, same with Doctors EPO, and we'll review what the enrollments look like uh, that are United Healthcare administered. Uh, those are actually self-funded plans. The uh, provisions and factors that feed into the rating process are illustrated on page five. Uh, certainly prior period claims, in this case looking at 2022 uh, claim experience, um, factor in healthcare trend inflation factor, uh, which accommodates price utilization and new technology influences, um, any sort of design or headcount changes, uh, administrative and other fees, and then the SFHSS specific cost elements um, all factor into how the underwriting uh, is performed for each of the plans. And as we reviewed in the last presentation, uh, these are the recommended uh, rate actions, including uh, what's boxed at the top of this chart, uh, the rate recommendations after rate stabilization adjustments uh, for the Access Plus and TRIO plans and the corollary United Healthcare plans. Um, it is important to note uh, in the footnotes, the, um, in particular, the after rate stabilization adjustment does capture both the normal um, board policy rate stabilization adjustment uh, that was reviewed and approved in March, as well as for this particular rating cycle, uh, the impact of the Sutter legal settlement buy downs. And then page seven, again, just provides a comparative chart of proposed total cost rates um, across each of the plans uh, with those uh, proposed increases. Uh, for uh, most active employees, uh, those in City County of San Francisco with the MOU contribution sharing approaches, um, you can see the two approaches uh, does vary by employee. Um, so when we say 93, 93, 83, those are percentages uh, paid for uh, out of the total rate for uh, each of the three dependent tiers, employee only, employee plus one, employee plus two or more, as well as the 196.83 approach uh, that applies for some employees. And then early retirees, the employer contributions you'll see, and then how the member con contributions are calculated from there are based on uh, city charter language where there are three elements to the employer contribution. Uh, the 10 county amount, which was approved in March. Uh, what we call the actual difference, which is essentially uh, the difference in rate, total rate between active employee single coverage and early retiree single coverage. So to kind of bridge that cost difference, um, uh, for early retirees versus active employees uh, in the employer contribution formula. So that's the middle of these three stacking bars. And then uh, finally, the retiree Prop B contribution, uh, which provides uh, basically 50% of what's left after the first two um, for both the employee only or, or excuse me, retiree only tier, as well as the retiree plus one tier. There is no incremental uh, city contribution past the first dependent uh, for retirees. So um, other presentations will have this, um, but I just wanted to make sure we covered this uh, in this presentation and everything I talked about here will apply uh, in the subsequent two. 
So recommendation on page 11 uh, for Health Service Board action today is to uh, request approval of the Blue Shield Access Plus HMO and United Healthcare Select EPO plan renewal proposal. In other words, the broad network HMO plan uh, for 14.4% rate increase. Uh, the more narrow network plan, uh, the Blue Shield Trio HMO, United Healthcare Doctors EPO, uh, proposed for a 2.9% rate increase, and then the resulting uh, rate cards that are included in this material. So again, I'll provide commentary uh, for the active employer rate cards, uh, even though there are other contribution strategies across the employers, uh, what's shown are the uh, two prominent employer contribution strategies uh, for City County of San Francisco, and the early retiree rate cards are shown for those who earn full city uh, contribution levels based on dates of hire and length of service. So first, just you know, talking a little bit more, um, this is really the first cycle where we've talked about UHC EPOs alongside Access Plus and TRIO. And if you recall, um, there was the initiative leading to the approval by this board last June to realign the administrator for individuals, non-Medicare family members who are in a family where there's at least one family member who's Medicare and is enrolled in the United Healthcare. Medicare Advantage PPO, um, I think is, you know, Ren and Ray and others had documented over prior board meetings at that point. A lot of administration issues with uh, those non-Medicare lives covered under Blue Shield uh, when the Medicare life was covered under United. So that shift happened um, for 2023, approved by this board last June. And as you can see, the vast majority of lives in these plans are still administered by Blue Shield, um, you know, both in terms of the members, the employees and retirees, as well as the covered lives. But this does give a framework that many families now do benefit in those mixed Medicare family situations uh, from the consistent administration of United Healthcare. So my comments from this point forward will be Access Plus or TRIO. You know, certainly that's what I'm used to presenting to this board but I just wanted to make sure it was clear that the rates that you would approve in this presentation today also apply to these UHC um, non-Medicare uh, plans for the mixed Medicare families. So the rate increases, again, are based on 2022 uh, claim experience on page 14, uh, administrative fees uh, for Blue Shield HMO plans, capitation costs, and large claim pooling fees, and then other uh, rating components that we'll describe on the next page. Uh, there are no plan design changes proposed uh, for these plans into the 2024 plan year. And if you look at the overall kind of weighted average uh, combined increase across Access Plus and TRIO, it's 10.9%. Uh, the rate cards do include uh, medical and pharmacy claims, but net of rebates, so we do incorporate those uh, for the pharmacy. Uh, again, the capitation charges, administrative fees. Uh, there are uh, large game pooling fees, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, some small element for the Federal uh, Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, or PCORI fees. As we reviewed with you in March, there is a substantial change because of the adverse claim experience um, in these plans in 2022. So there's a change in the uh, rating 
element of the stabilization uh, from a buy up and uh, buy down in 2023 to a buy up in 2024. Uh, the VSP uh, basic plan vision premiums are included in the rate cards. Those stay at 2023 levels. The $3 sustainability charge stays the same. And then the uh, Sutter legal settlement um, impact as well. You know, page 16, just to kind of refresh on especially why the large increase for Access Plus, you know, overall plan expenses, as we reviewed with you in March, increased by 13% on a per employee and retiree per month basis uh, from 2021 to 2022. Some of it was a substantial increase in large claimants. Uh, we went from 28 people incurring 500,000 or more in 2021 uh, to 49 in 2022. Uh, prescription drugs, uh, elevation and specialty medication spending of 14%. And then also, and I think President Scott, you alluded uh, to this in your comments, a elevation of prevalence of chronic uh, conditions and as reported by Blue Shield uh, to AN and SFHSS back in February and then communicated uh, by me to the board in March, double-digit increases in the prevalence of members in aggregate based on the aggregated data uh, that's made available um, with conditions like cancer, uh, musculoskeletal, you know, cardiovascular, you know, heart conditions, and mental health. I think what we also saw, and you know, I guess as we picked apart the data, um, you know, why is the increase so much higher on Access Plus uh, versus Trio? And in part, you know, based on conversations and data that we looked at with Blue Shield, a lot does have to do with price per service elevation uh, for certain provider systems that are part of the Access Plus uh, broader network that are not part of the narrower TRIO network in the Bay Area. Uh, the plan design is the same between Access Plus and TRIO, so that is not an influencer of cost difference. It's the same exact co-payments you know, across the board uh, between the Access Plus and TRIO plans. You know, The distinction between these two uh, programs really is in who's in the network, you know, who's, who are the providers that can be sought uh, for those in Access Plus versus TRIO. As you can see, there are many providers here in the Bay Area that are part of both networks. Um, you can see that list here. There's others, but I would say these are the 10 primary uh, providers. Some are physician groups, um, like health physicians uh, in Brown and Toland. Some are you know, health systems, um, you know, like John Muir. Uh, you know, some are uh, particular facilities like California Pacific Medical Center um, or in General Hospital. But you also see providers that are in Access Plus and not in TRIO. Um, you can see those five at the lower left that when we looked at average cost data uh, for services for those particular uh, physicians and health systems, you know, we did see higher levels of unit price um, rolling through these providers relative to those who were in both TRIO and Access Plus. So this was a factor in the differentiation of the plan experience uh, that we observed between Access Plus and TRIO in 2022. So the, again, that elevated claim experience did lead uh, to the change in rate stabilization. 
uh, but the Sutter Legal Settlement does provide some relief in the ultimate calculation uh, for the rate increase for 2024. And then, you know, I alluded, <coughs> excuse me, to fee changes earlier. Um, the administrative fees are locked in um, over a three-year period from 2022 uh, through 2024. So 2024 administrative fee, uh, the $49.50 per employee per month, uh, is part of a three-year commitment that came out of the fall 2020 RFP process. <coughs> However, because of the large claim uh, data that was observed uh, for 2022 and you know what I alluded to earlier, uh, the large claim pooling fee is increasing by 49% after a 12.5% increase in that fee for 2023. And that influences uh, the renewal for both <coughs> Access Plus and TRIO. Now, there will be a new uh, complex care population management program coming into place for Access Plus in 2024, which is currently in place uh, with TRIO. Uh, with apologies to this board, knowing how you feel about the word concierge, um, it is called Shield Concierge. And um, it is believed to provide an added level of um, patient advocacy um, and care management that, again, is now in place for TRIO uh, that will become offered in Access Plus in 2024. Is that uh, what's called the Care Navigation Service? Um, it's, so the name Blue Shield puts to it is called Shield, Shield Concierge. Uh, but it is a complex care and population management uh, program that's now in place for TRIO, not for Access Plus, right. but it will come into Access Plus in 2024 at no incremental uh, fee. So with that, uh, I'll transition uh, page 21. Uh, just introducing uh, the rate cards and the groups uh, that are aligned with these rate cards. Uh, page 2022 is a comparison of 2023 and 2024 um, uh, member contributions at the top on a monthly basis, employer contributions in the middle, and total cost rate, um, where again, you can see uh, the increases um, are high because of the high increase proposed the 14.4% on total rate. Uh, the reason that the employer contribution for retirees is not quite 14.4% has to do with the 10 county amount um, being one of the three elements of how the employer contribution is determined for retirees. And as you recall from the March meeting, the 10 county amount increased 3.2%. So other elements of the employer contribution formula are increasing uh, commensurately with the total rate, uh, but because of the lower 10 county amount increase at 3.2%, uh, that is why the percent increases for the monthly employer contributions for early retirees are less than the 14.4%. Um, page 23, you know, same numbers as prior page for early retiree, just showing it for the 196. Uh, contribution strategy for employees. And then the rate cards, um, page 24, uh, showing early retirees and the 93, 93, 83 contribution strategy for active employees. 
uh, page 25, the rate cards uh, for the active employees for the 196.83. So all of that is for Access Plus. And then transitioning to TRIO on page 26, um, you'll see the lower increase, the 2.9% in aggregate, um, you know, with rounding comes out to 2.8% in some cases, um, where largely, you know, everything kind of flows through, um, you know, with these changes into the active and early retiree uh, populations. So you'll see the uh, rates of change, pages 26 and 27, and then the rate cards for TRIO and the UHC doctor's EPO on 28 and 29. So as I conclude uh, my presentation on page 31, um, just closing with the staff recommendation that the Health Service Board approve uh, the Blue Shield Access Plus HMO slash United Healthcare Select DPO plan renewal proposal for a 14.4% rate increase from 2023 to 2024. The Blue Shield Trio HMO United Healthcare Doctors EPO plan renewal proposal for a 2.9% rate increase from 2023 to 2024. And the resulting 2024 monthly rate cards uh, presented in this material uh, for these plans. President Scott. Thank you. Uh, Mike, I, I would ask, are there questions of the board yes. at this point? Uh, Commissioner Breslin. Yeah, I'd like to go back to slide 17 because I look closely at this. I saw the a huge rate for early retirees especially, so I was trying to figure out if possibly, I mean for Blue Shield especially, uh, how the trio would work for them. So um, I spoke to one of the members, actually friend too, and she, and she explained some of the problems she's had with TRIO. Um, she said, like when her primary doctor wants to refer to somebody with the tri she's in the TRIO plan, they have problems trying to figure out if that person is in the network. The doctors have been having that; she's had have had that problem, and um, she said the care navigation service. She was on the phone for an hour, and. Uh, they couldn't f figure it out. So um, so these are some problems that I think it's really important because people will probably want to look at the trio considering the amount of money they can change. So for us to be able to clearly explain to them who will be in that plan and who won't be in that plan. Because sometimes you have a doctor that, you know, or a group that says they're in it and then they have some side things that aren't in it and uh, like, CPMC, Sutter Health, CPMC says, you know, they're in both, but then there's more in the uh, Access Plus. So it gets quite complicated. So I think during the opening, it's really important that we be able to explain this to our members because it's, it's the difference in price is quite a bit and it's very expensive. I mean, you're looking at for an early retiree $1,573 a month, that's $236 more than last year. And that's like $19,000 a year. So that's, that's a lot of money for some people who maybe, you know, are fixed income, obviously, retirees and stuff. So I really think we really have to look closely at this trio to so be able to explain it to people. Um, you know, who's in and who out, who's out. Uh, 
Yeah, it seemed to be the main thing was to find the provider uh, for that particular thing, and the doctors were having problems. So, um, and, and something else came up, but this is not really pertaining to this, but in the HMOs, you always have to go to your primary care doctor to get referred to a specialist. Now, this person has an ongoing problem as a, with a gastroenterologist. So every time she sees the gastroenterologist, she has to see the primary care first. I mean, what a waste of money. You're paying for the primary care, and then you're paying for your gastroenterologist. And I'd kind of forgotten, because I, I'm in United Healthcare, and you don't have to do that. But that really is something that should be changed within the, the plan. When somebody has an established relationship with the doctor, they shouldn't have to go see their primary care doctor first. Uh, and that would be something for Blue Shield to look at and try to uh, change that somehow. <clears throat> I mean, I remember back when I was in there thinking, too, what a waste of time. I'm going to this primary care doctor first who will be charge them, and then I'm going to the specialist. So um, it's something I think that somehow should really be looked at. Uh, Director Yan, do you have any comment on that last comment regarding the involvement of the primary care physician? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I, I, Shield is here and can answer some of these questions directly, but it's my personal experience <laughs> that you get um, authorization to see specialists uh, in multiples should that be necessary for your condition. So it's not like every time you need to see a specialist, you get that, uh, you need to get that authorization. You need to get it originally, and then it needs to be updated on a regular basis, but not for, not usually for every visit. Am I speaking correctly? Is there Shilka? someone here from yeah, the Shield yeah. that can stand and speak yeah. to this about how that process works after you have been referred by your primary care physician to a specialist? What is kind of the norm in the plan? Thank you. Um, uh, would President. you please uh, eat the microphone? Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Tiffany Gill, uh, Blue Shield account manager. Um, thanks for having me. Um, we, we do have, it is exactly how uh, um, Executive Director Yant explained. In, in the normal circumstances, when you get um, a referral from your primary care physician, it is for an episode right, for whatever it is that you're, you know, being treated for. Um, you do not need to go back to your primary care physician um, for each subsequent appointment, but if there might be something else that needs to happen or if there's been some time in between, then maybe there would need to be some interaction with the primary care physician, but I'm not aware of that normally happening, and, and we can certainly look into any individual situation um, and, and help with that. Okay, so if it's come up, I'll have them call you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. Or come okay. to member services and then right. through member <laughs> services talk to us. That plan. is the normal channel is member okay. services, but, um, okay. but we're certainly here to help. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Maybe before you leave the podium, can I bring uh, yes. a question? Yes, please. So, talk, I'll just uh, comment on this last issue. Having been, you know, a subspecialist with, um, in fee-for-service care before I joined Kaiser, um, uh, I was recruited, attempted to recruit by one health plan, not Blue Shield or United Healthcare, um, where they only wanted me to see a patient once. And so I declined to sign up um, because of that. And so I would, you know, basically say that, that most of these health plans um, do authorize 
multiple visits for the same problem. And so that I think what you say rings true to my experience historically, um, because uh, just based on, again, my own experience. The one issue that I think the other issue is a very important one, and that is um, that when we look at slide 17, which has the uh, major Access Plus and TRIO providers and m multiple medical groups, you know, uh, Dignity, Hill, Brown and Tolan, et cetera. So uh, can we assume that any subspecialist in Brown and Tolan are both members of, you know, the um, Access Plus and TRIO, that there is, that, so that some of the subspecialists can't opt out so that if they are a Hill physician or a Dignity or, or a UC physician through these plans, that they are required to be in both. Is that the case? My understanding is that we've created a, a special network within Brown and Toland for SFHSS members. Um, I'll, I'm going to look into it a little bit further because um, I was taking notes, but, and I can certainly research it and get back to you, but my understanding is there are some um, specialists within Brown and Tolan in our Access Plus network that are not specialists in the TRIO network. I think that that's a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I, mean, I really do think it's a problem, again, having been in the situation of referring patients to subspecialists. Um, and a lot of times the, in, the people in the subspecialist office either don't know for sure what contract they've signed or, or don't know how they're being reimbursed. And so this is a problem um, if that is the case. And so I think maybe if you have that relationship with Brown and Tolan, you may want to look at all of the medical groups here and assure us whether this is a situation only with Brown and Tolan or whether it's a problem with all the medical groups that are listed in both um, because that is really, uh, I think, an important issue that should be clarified. Especially right. when we want to encourage our people to go into trail. Right, yeah, I understand. And we, we do have our find a doctor tool that is set up specific for the SFHSS network. Uh, so that is available. Um, we, and we can, we do make that clear at open enrollment, but we can definitely make sure that we're, you know, doing that as again, and then work with our Brown and Toland partners. Cause really a lot of times it should be when there's a referral, it should be the Brown and Toland team. Um, that is looking at, you know, kind of who is in and out of the TRIO network for them. And the other thing, the concierge service or the navigation service or whatever it's called for sure, um, I think you should look into that since the person was on an hour and never got it resolved. Yeah, that I definitely would like to. If you have a name, we can certainly look into that. that. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you for those points and in terms of any early review or the results of any early review that you have regarding uh, physicians being in both networks and how that is structured. If you could come back to us at a subsequent meeting, maybe in June, uh, to uh, talk about that, that would be helpful. All right. Be my pleasure. Thank you. All right. All right. Are there any other questions, comments from the board? If not, I'm willing to entertain a motion. Mr. President, um, I'd like to make a motion uh, that we approve, uh, and I'll read the three um, itemized uh, recommendations, the uh, Blue Shield Access Plus HMO, the UHC Select EPO Plan renewal proposal for a 14.4% rate increase from 
2023 to 2024. Second. Two, uh, my apologies. Uh, <laughs> Two more with my long-winded motion. The uh, Blue Shield uh, Trio HMO and UHC Doctors EPO plan renewal proposal for a 2.9% rate increase from 2023 to 2024. And third and final, the resulting 2024 monthly rate cards presented uh, and incorporated within this presentation as presented. All right. Those recommendations can be found on page 31 of this presentation. And uh, it's been properly moved that these recommendations as provided and described by our actuary this afternoon be adopted as presented and approved. Is there a second? That we already seconded, I thought. Well, you seconded it, the first portion while he was still oh, providing okay. the second and third. So we do have a proper second on all three recommendations. Uh, and with that, we will now have public comment. I would like to make a comment too. I just want yes. to make very sure that during open enrollment, this trio is explained clearly to everyone because if not, you're going to get all kinds of phone calls from people who went to trio and then found out they couldn't access their doctors. So um, I don't know how detailed that's going to be, but it's definitely going to be some more extra work, I think. Okay. Well, thank you for bringing that note, and I'm sure the executive director and the chief operating officer have made note of that comment, Director Breslin, uh, Commissioner Breslin. So at this point, we'll take public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now <coughs> open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. I'll check to see if there's any callers in the public comment queue at this time. We have five callers in the phone queue at this time. One caller has specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. We'll hear a brief pause as I tr transition between callers. Welcome, caller. Welcome, caller. The, the raised hand icon has been um, removed. So we'll give another five seconds to see if any callers would like to join the public comment queue at this time. Zero callers have entered the queue at this time. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. And with that, we're ready for a roll call vote. Roll call <coughs> vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commission Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Reluctantly, aye. It is unanimous. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll now move to item number seven. Agenda item number seven, review and approve non-Medicare uh, There we are, mm -hmm. thank you. <coughs> item number seven. Review and approve non-Medicare PPO medical RX self-funded plans 2024 rates and contributions. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Mike Clark, AM, um, reviewing the non-Medicare PPO plan rating 2024 uh, recommendations. I'll provide a renewal summary, uh, walk through the rate cards, and um, 
state the recommendation for health service board action. Um, I will not review again the rate methodology uh, preface as I've reviewed that in the prior presentation. So what I would like to do is transition to page 11 uh, to uh, open with the staff recommendation that the health service board approve uh, the non-Medicare PPO plan and non-Medicare PPO plan choice not available, 2024 plan year monthly rate cards presented in this material. Uh, where the resulting total rate increase for the non-Medicare PPO plan, including stabilization and Sutter legal settlement rating adjustments for 2024 is 1.7%, and the total rate increase for active employees in the non-Medicare PPO plan choice not available, including uh, stabilization and Sutter legal settlement rating adjustments for 2024, uh, follows the Blue Shield Access Plus United Healthcare Select PPO rate increase of 14.4%, uh, just reviewed in the last presentation. So the commentary uh, will follow. Just a reminder that the MOU for City County of San Francisco employees specifies that the employer contributions for the highest cost plan offered through SFHSS, which is the plan uh, I'm presenting now, are set to equal the employer contributions for the second highest cost plan, uh, which is the Blue Shield Access Plus. United Healthcare Select EPO plan. So this guides how the employer contributions are set for the non-Medicare PPO plan in the active employee rate cards, uh, but noting that for the employee only tier and the 19683 strategy, employees, employees pay no contributions for any of the SFHSS health plans and the employer contributions equal the total rates uh, just for the employee only tier in each plan for the 19683 employer contribution strategy. And over and above, there are, all, are multiple strategies um, within broader SFHSS. And the early retiree rate cards uh, shown in this presentation are for early retirees that earn the full city contribution levels uh, based on the dates of hire and length of service. So page 14, uh, just a reminder that this plan is administered by two carriers and um, has been since the start of 2022 uh, when Blue Shield uh, was named the plan administrator for most PPO plan covered lives, um, all except those that are administered by United Healthcare uh, for enrollees in the PPO plan in non-Medicare split family covered lives where one or more family member is Medicare and enrolled in the United Healthcare Medicare Advantage PPO plan. And you can see uh, for the members, the employees and retirees, the vast majority uh, fall under Blue Shield administration um, with 336 of the total 3,353 covered lives uh, administered by United Healthcare. And so the recommended rate increases are based on 2022 uh, claim experience trended to 2024, uh, the administrative fees for each of the carriers and other rating components that I'll describe. There are no plan design changes proposed uh, for this plan into the 2024 plan year. On page 15, just listing out um, all the elements that go into uh, the rate development for uh, this self-funded plan, uh, you'll note the claims, medical and pharmacy, net of rebates, uh, the administrative fees, the buy-up for rate stabilization. There was a buy-up for 2023. Um, it's grown a little bit for 2024. Uh, the vision plan premiums for the basic plan, uh, which remain unchanged, as well as the $3 sustainability charge and the one-time uh, provision for the subtle the legal settlement uh, rating buy-down as the board approved in April. 
Uh, we reviewed plan experience uh, for the PPO with you at our April meeting. Um, at that time, we talked about medical claim experience increasing 8% uh, per covered life in 2022 versus 2021. Uh, prescription drugs actually increased at a lower rate um, because the overall um, kind of cost of uh, prescription uh, was mitigated in part by the RFP process. Uh, that occurred into the 2022 plan year. So when you combine everything, uh, it's a 7% per covered life increase, which is right at our annual cost trend assumption uh, based on what we're tracking nationally. The difference in the rate stabilization reserve adjustment, you know, creates a small unfavorable difference in the rating for the plan for 2024, uh, but more than offset by the one-time uh, uh, legal settlement uh, amount, almost $3 million. Um, but as Commissioner Walsby noted, um, you know, this, this is a one-time offset and we will need to consider in 2025 um, that this amount will not apply or at least whatever incremental funds come uh, won't nearly be to this extent. Uh, Blue Shield did commit to no increase in administrative fees, uh, including those for accolade delivered services. Uh, from 2022 to 2024 as part of the fall 2020 RFP process, uh, while there's just a nominal increase in administrative fees, 1.5% uh, for United Healthcare. Uh, just to remind, when we talk about the choice not available rating, uh, this was a concept that was introduced several years ago to help lower the member contribution paid uh, by members who live in geographies uh, where either the non-Medicare PPO plan is the only choice available, so the majority fall in that circumstance, or the rare instance where Kaiser is available but not a Blue Shield HMO, or uh, vice versa. And so you can see the distribution of enrolled members um, across the plans uh, between the, the non-Medicare PPO plan uh, with the higher contributions for members and the choice not available, uh, which gives contribution uh, relief for members in the PPO plan. So the vast majority of active employees uh, live in areas where uh, the HMOs are available, but you can see that this supports uh, more than half of the early retirees that enroll in the PPO plan. Um, and so, you know, especially for active employees in the Hatchachi Moccasin areas, early retirees living outside the Bay Area, um, it does help lower uh, the member contribution. And you can see the, how the rates are determined for active employees, the same premium rates, including all the rate card elements and contributions as the Blue Shield Access Plus plan. Uh, for early retirees, the same premium rates as non-Medicare PPO plan, but it leads to lower retiree contributions uh, relative to the non-Medicare PPO plan based on how the city charter uh, formulas are applied. So on page 20, um, just uh, lead in on the rate cards that you'll see, you know, for active employees, the two for the 93, 93, 83 and 196, 83 uh, model. And um, again, noting how uh, the employer contributions are set and the resulting member contributions uh, based on the MOUs. So page 21 shows a comparison uh, of the non-Medicare PPO plan uh, where again, the employer contribution for active employees is based on the same employer contribution as Access Plus 
So when you have a 1.7% total rate increase and a 14.4% employer contribution increase, you know, that leads to the uh, significant decrease in the employee contributions, um, you know, for the active employees. And for early retirees, because of the city charter uh, formula uh, being mostly driven here through the uh, 10 county amount, um, you know, you see relatively nominal uh, changes in the member contributions uh, from 2023 to 2024. And then page 22 showing it uh, for the 196 strategy, uh, the rate cards themselves uh, for the non-Medicare PPO plan uh, shown on pages 23 and 24. Uh, for choice not available, again, the increases look high, but keep in mind that the uh, member contributions are still significantly lower than what we reviewed for the regular non-Medicare PPO plan. Uh, because of the dependency uh, of the rates uh, linked to the ac um, Access Plus plan rates, you know, that's why you see the larger uh, percentage increases, but again, you know, noting that the actual amounts uh, for member contributions for 2024 for choice not available uh, remain substantially lower uh, than those who have choice and elect the PPO. So the change numbers, page uh, 25 and 26, and then the rate cards for PPO choice not available on pages 27 and 28. So with that, uh, I'll transition to page 30 and close uh, with the staff recommendation that the Health Service Board approve the non-Medicare PPO and non-Medicare PPO choice not available, <laughs> 2024 plan year monthly rate cards presented this material, the resulting total rate increase uh, for the non-Medicare PPO plan, including stabilization and Sutter legal settlement uh, rating adjustments for 2024 is 1.7% and the total rate increase for active employees in the non-Medicare PPO plan, choice not available, including stabilization and Sutter legal sentiment rating adjustments for 2024, uh, follows the Blue Shield Access Plus HMO, um, United Healthcare Select EPO uh, rate increase of 14.4%. President Scott. Uh, thank you. Are there questions from board members regarding this presentation or any aspect of it? If not, I'm willing to entertain a motion. So I'd like to move that we um, approve uh, the recommendations of the staff um, as outlined in, on slide 30, including the non-Medicare PPO plan and non-Medicare PPO plan choice not available 2024 plan. Yearly monthly rate cards as presented. The total, resulting total rate increase of the non-Medicare PPO plan, including stabilization and the essentially one-time Sutter legal settlement rating adjustments to, for 2024 of 1.7%. And finally, the total uh, rate increase for active employees in the non-Medicare PPO plan choice not available, including stabilization and Sutter legal settlement rating adjustments for 2024 following the Blue Shield Access Plus HMO UHC select EPO rate increase equaling 14.4%. Second. All right, it's been properly moved and seconded that the actuarial recommendations, along with the staff, as presented in this presentation, be approved. And with that, we will now open it up to public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, and then remote public comment. 
For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll begin our remote public comment. We have five callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue to speak. I'll give five more seconds to see if anyone would like to join the public comment queue at this time. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. With the closing of public comment, we'll now take a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Aye. It passes unanimously. And with that, we are slightly ahead of the time schedule that was provided to me, and I would like to at this time uh, declare a recess of 15 minutes. And by my chronometer, we're at 221, so we'll be back at 235. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
thank you. We're now uh, coming out of our recess. Uh, we'll have a roll call for quorum purposes. Thank you, President Scott. A roll call vote, or a roll call, starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Here. Commissioner <coughs> Canning. Present. Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Commissioner Follinsby. Present. And Commissioner Zvansky. Present. Thank you. We do have a quorum. And at this point, uh, we will now move to item number eight. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number eight is review and approve Kaiser Permanente, California, Medical Rx fully insured non-Medicare HMO plan 2024 rates and contributions. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Mike Clark, AM, here to present the Kaiser Permanente, California uh, active employee and early retiree uh, 2024 plan rating recommendations. Uh, provide, I'll provide a renewal summary. Uh, go through the uh, recommended rate cards for active employees and early retirees and the recommendation for health service board action. Uh, the appendix information does include underwriting premium rate buildup uh, for the rates that we'll present today. Um, I'll skip through the rate setting uh, methodology preface, just noting that this is a fully insured plan. Um, so the rates are set by Kaiser Permanente, you know, certainly the underwriting uh, reviewed by me um, as the lead actuary. So on page 11, uh, staff recommends that the Health Service Board approve a 10.86% insured plan premium increase from 2023 to 2024 for active employees and early retirees in California enrolled in Kaiser Permanente based on fully insured plan rates proposed by Kaiser for the 2024 plan year and changes to the Kaiser HMO plan design to match major plan design features currently in place for the Blue Shield of California and HealthNet Canopy Care HMO plans as outlined in this presentation. And then the resulting 2024 plan year rate cards for the Kaiser California HMO plan in section 3B of this presentation document for active employees and early retirees reflecting rates based on recommended plan design changes as contained in this presentation. Uh, noting that this presentation contains two sets of 2024 Kaiser HMO rate cards for Health Service Board consideration. Uh, one in section 3A <coughs> contains status quo or no plan design change uh, rate cards from for 2024, as well as section 3B that contains um, rate cards reflecting the recommended plan design changes in this document for 2024. And the plan design changes are recommended to mitigate the Kaiser HMO rate increase for 2024. On page 12, uh, the rates and premium contributions, um, you know, have the detail exhibits. And again, as I noted earlier, the appendix uh, does contain an underwriting premium rate buildup. Um, exhibit for uh, your review. The rate cards include for the active employees, for city, county, and San Francisco employees, uh, for the 93, 93, 83, and 196, 83 strategies, uh, noting there are other uh, employer contribution strategies across uh, other employers in SFHSS, uh, and the early retiree rate cards are shown for the early retirees who earn the full city contribution levels. Uh, based on dates and length of hire of service with the employer contributions determined based on formulas outlined in the city charter. So looking ahead to page 14, 
the 2024 Kaiser total uh, premiums for active employees and early retirees on a status quo design basis are increasing 12.5% uh, for medical and pharmacy coverage. This follows a 3.9% rate increase that occurred for the 2023 plan year. For the rating development uh, for 2024, it really reflects two elements. About 4% of this renewal is driven by plan experience uh, from February 2022 through January 2023, trended forward uh, 23 months. So consistent with the plan year 2022 experience is was reviewed uh, at our April 13th Health Service Board meeting. Uh, the remainder, about 8.5%, driven by an expected increase in expense levels in the plan into the 2024 plan year, um, is communicated to us by Kaiser, influenced by labor shortages, inflation and supply chain disruptions, increasing demand for care, increasing prescription drug costs, and provider challenges. On the financial results uh, shown uh, for the uh, enterprise-wide Kaiser Permanente um, system, you can see on page 15, uh, as reported by Kaiser in early February 2023, operating expenses exceeded operating revenues in 2022, uh, which generated an operating loss uh, for the Kaiser Permanente organization for the first time in 20 years. Kaiser did report their first quarter of 2023 uh, financial results on May 5th. That is also shown on the right side of this chart. Um, Q1 did produce um, operating income uh, to a small extent. Uh, the footnote uh, contains more information um, on what could be expected uh, for the remainder of 2023, you know, based on historical patterns uh, for Q1. So this information above uh, in this table contributes to the Kaiser's enterprise-wide revenue increase forecast. Uh, in other words, the insured premium rates to their customers into 2024. Um, page 16 just documents uh, background on the Kaiser Permanente uh, structure. It's an integrated care delivery system providing both the health care to the member and the insurance product, um, unlike the network model health plans, uh, like the other plans offered through SFHSS. Uh, Kaiser's budget is developed to ensure the revenue needed is available to provide care for their members as well as the fixed cost for their delivery system. Expenses are budgeted in advance to help ensure the operation of their care delivery system, uh, contracting of outside services as uh, may be needed for members, and the administration of their health plan, including capital expenditures. Kaiser Permanente's health system expense increases are expected to be realized more immediately um, than what may occur through network model health plans uh, where impacts will be expected to phase in as individual system contracts with those network health plans are updated typically every two to four years. Michael, uh, would you please translate that into yeah. smaller English? Kaiser's health system expense increases are expected to be realized more immediately. What does that mean? Sure. Um, so for a typical network health plan, they have staggered contractual dates uh, with their health systems where a given health system, I mean, let's say health system A uh, may have a contract expiration on their fee-for-service pricing at the end of 2023. System B may have expiration at the end of 2024. 
you know, typically those contracts are, you know, locked in on a two to four year basis. Kaiser Permanente essentially has one health system. Um, so unlike, you know, we reviewed earlier the chart with the Blue Shield, there's Dignity Health, there's Sutter Health, there's Stanford Healthcare, there's Brown and Tolan Physicians, et cetera. Um, within the Kaiser world, it's essentially the Kaiser Permanente uh, Medical Group. And so, um, you know, what's happening within the Kaiser Health System now is, um, you know, re review of uh, labor costs that are happening, uh, perhaps, um, you know, individual negotiations that could be happening with various aspects of their labor, um, increases that are occurring within the prescription drug purchasing environment, happening more immediately. Um, so in other words, those costs kind of almost roll through as incurred within the Kaiser system versus um, locked in based on a multi-year contract um, that a health plan like Blue Shield may have uh, with various systems that have staggered dates. Right. So does that so help? The, co the cost flows are, in this particular instance, are not staggered in Kaiser, whereas they are in other health systems. Correct. So they, they see their costs all at one time. Exactly. All right. And, you know, what's been communicated uh, to me in um, separate conversations, separate from SFHSS, but just general right. Aon Kaiser leadership discussions, is some of these expense increase factors have really um, been more prominent since initial renewals were released uh, by Kaiser at this time last year for 2023. Um, you know, I've heard commentary that just says if we had it to do over, we probably should have been asking for higher premiums for 2023 um, based on how expense levels have developed since we released generally client renewals, you know, about this time last year. All right. Thank you. So, 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 questions? Uh, so just to be clear, even though we're renewing for one year, what you're saying is the health plans negotiations will depend upon all these other factors and their own negotiations for for pharmaceutical services or you know physician or, or from whatever they're they're doing this may be in a different cycles as well so even though we're we're renewing for a year with all these plans their costs may be staggered a bit more and so we may see a much higher rate in a year or two from some of these other plans as those other contracts expire and they take a big hit, big jump? Is that, is that something that we can anticipate? Yeah, it is possible. And that is a conversation that we're having with other, other of your plans that are the network model plans to truly understand what are the timing of next cycle of, you know, basically fee negotiations with the various health systems uh, that they may have. So. We're relying on, for instance, HealthNet, Blue Shield, United Healthcare to give us their best 2024 forecast now, um, so that that factors into the underwriting um, for the health plan. So, for instance, the Blue Shield renewal that um, for the HMOs um, that was discussed earlier that ostensibly factors in expectations for Blue Shield on the price levels that may escalate from current into 2024, 
but we're relying on them to predict those as accurately as possible um, right now to reflect what's anticipated to be a 2024 cost basis. Uh, Commissioner Zavansky. So would I be correct in calling this front-loading? Is that what Kaiser's doing, they're front-loading? so that they can spend the next couple of years saying, oh, no change, but they're front-loading the next couple of years into the rates we're looking at today. Yeah, so my, in my several discussions with, um, you know, Kaiser's chief actuary and Kaiser leadership, my understanding is they're taking an enterprise-wide view to how to set the healthcare trend and, and maybe better explained you know, visually as I answer your question through a review of page 17, you know, what they're looking to do is look at their enterprise-wide forecast for operating expense for 2024. Look at what revenue they feel they need enterprise-wide um, to achieve the financial targets um, sought for 2024 that incorporate the best forecast for their enterprise-wide 2024 expense levels. And so that is factoring into, you know, number one and number two on page 17. You know, determine the amount of total revenue needed to cover those expenses, and then calculate that amount of expected revenue enterprise-wide, and then from there, set group-specific rates. Now, I will say, um, with the renewals I've observed from Kaiser, um, so far year-to-date for 2024 plan year, both for us at HSS and for other clients that I have with Kaiser, rates are clearly higher, rate increases are clearly higher uh, going into 2024 for every client that I've seen relative to what I've seen in the past uh, for Kaiser. And as I mentioned before, you know, with this 12.5% uh, proposed increase uh, with no plan design changes, about four of that is based on plan experience. You know, the remainder is based on essentially this formula or, or factoring on page 17 um, leading to that 12.5% uh, rate increase that they have quoted for SFHSS. So, Mike, I just have a question. Commissioner um, so, Mao. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no. If I may um, just understand it. So, um, when you said that in hindsight, Kaiser wishes that it had set its rates differently, um, I'm paraphrasing, of course, because the expenses or whatever came in a little bit higher than expected. So, are you saying that in your little pic picture here, number one, they underestimated that, and number two, they uh, or they, yeah, basically they were off in their in their guesstimates in this picture. And I think, again, if you look at the Q1, you know, going back to the um, couple prior pages, just looking at the first quarter operating revenues and expenses of 2023, um, as was released publicly by Kaiser, so this is available public um, information, the operating expenses of 25.0 million or uh, billion um, came in just slightly below the operating revenues. But there is an expectation that operating revenues quarter to quarter will stay relatively constant through a year because most of that is 
premium. Most of that is calendar year plan premium that really won't change through the course of the year uh, relative to operating expenses, which will typically grow some uh, quarter to quarter throughout a year. And so, um, you know, again, I don't want to speak for the Kaiser organization. I'm not here to make forward-looking statements at all. But it could be inferred that, you know, on this trajectory, it is possible. Uh, Kaiser could incur an operating loss, you know, for the full 2023 if similar patterns to how first quarter finishes into full year, um, if that plays out that way for 2023. Thank you. All right, are there any other questions? Yes, he's just continue. You're not done yet. No, she, he's no. not done. I'm, I'm asking, <laughs> I'm, I'm, are I'm there done. any other questions <laughs> on, that, on this point of kind of the revenue determination operating expense, which is really the crux of this, all right? Please proceed, Mike. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, so transitioning to the plan design alternative for health service board uh, consideration, the there are plan design features for the Kaiser HMO plan uh, that are different, you know, co-payments that are lower uh, than co-payments and maximum out-of-pocket in place for the Blue Shield of California and HealthNet canopy care HMO plans. And we have a chart on the next page of the prominent uh, features that are different between the plans. And so given the high renewal increase and, you know, kind of alluding, I think, uh, Vice President Howe to a comment you made at the last board meeting just to at least explore what uh, potential plan design alternatives could uh, do for the premium. Uh, there is a recommended plan design change uh, set that would lower the needed rate increase um, from the 12.5% to 10.86%, uh, which is a 1.64% uh, difference in the rates. And page 19 illustrates uh, what the uh, plan design features, the major plan design features are uh, that would be proposed for change uh, current for 2023. Um, you can see the categories on the left side, uh, the current amounts for the Kaiser HMO in the first column, uh, and then recommended amounts for 2024 that would match uh, the plan design provisions for the Blue Shield and HealthNet Canopy Care HMOs. So the Kaiser uh, rate cards on page, uh, leading off on page 20, you know, reflect these fully insured premiums. Uh, no change to the basic plan vision premiums, no change to the $3 um, SFHSS healthcare sustainability fund charge. Um, and you can see the employer contributions, uh, the three components that factor into early retiree uh, contributions. The active employee rate cards are shown for the 93, 93, 83, and the 196, 83. So um, next is section 3A. So just to be clear, section 3A, our proposed 2024 monthly rate cards uh, for the Kaiser California non-Medicare HMO plan if plan design remains the same as 2023. And what you'll see um, embedded within the information, so on pages 23 and 24, you know, showing what the uh, changes would look like for uh, both active employees and early retirees. Um, you know, the 12.4% is because of this, the no change division, no change to the sustainability, uh, but embedded within this are the overall Kaiser premium uh, increase of 12.5%. Again, slightly lower employer contribution increase than 12.5% for the early retirees for the employer, 
uh, because of the 3.2% increase in the uh, 10 county amount. Um, I will also note for the early retiree, uh, retiree only category, um, it would generate a member contribution of $14.90 on a monthly basis um, where there is no monthly contribution today. So 93, 93, 83 for the actives uh, shown on page 23, 196, page 24. And the resulting rate cards um, are shown on pages 25 and 26. So again, I call this set of rate cards um, section 3A um, as you uh, consider today's recommendation uh, with no plan design changes. With the plan design changes uh, recommendations that we reviewed earlier, um, section 3B uh, contains the information on monthly renewal premiums and contributions. Uh, first, the change from 2023 to 2024 uh, for the active employees and the early retirees, uh, page 28 for the 93, 93, 83 active rate card, uh, page 29 for the 196, 83, and then the corresponding rate cards themselves under a with design changes um, as recommended this document on pages 30 and 31. So again, uh, refer to this as section 3B um, as you um, consider. So in summary, uh, page 33, I'll close that staff recommends that the Health Service Board approve a 10.86% insured plan premium increase from 2023 to 2024 for active employees and early retirees in California enrolled in Kaiser Permanente based on fully insured plan rates proposed by Kaiser for the 2024 plan year and changes to the Kaiser HMO plan design to match major uh, design features currently in place for the Blue Shield of California and HealthNet Canopy Care HMO plans is outlined in this presentation and the resulting 2024 plan year rate cards for the Kaiser California HMO plan in section 3B of this presentation document for active employees and early retirees reflecting rates based on recommended plan design changes as contained in this presentation with the Kaiser HMO plan design changes recommended to align major design features to those currently in the Blue Shield of California and HealthNet HMO plans and to mitigate the Kaiser HMO plan 2024 renewal rate increase. President Scott. Are there questions from members of the board regarding uh, the descriptions of both options that uh, our actuary has presented? or any other aspect of his presentation. Uh, Mr. President, if, uh, if I may, and thank you, Mr. Clark, for your- Mr. Channing. Uh, for your detailed uh, presentation. Um, I'll uh, echo the uh, comments of my colleague, uh, Commissioner Savansky, with uh, reservation and, and a lot of uh, trepidation about uh, digesting uh, what you explained. Um, my, or as a board, our mandate um, clearly is to uh, ensure that uh, our priority is on our membership and, and with that also comes a balancing act between our individual members and the system uh, as a whole. And this may bleed over into uh, uh, Madam Executive Director uh, to answer this question, but as we digest and consider and debate and, and discuss the two options, uh, if this board is unable to come to a consensus on any, the, my, my main concern is a, a vast majority of our membership, active and retired, uh, rely on uh, this plan uh, for a variety of reasons. And um, 
I, I, I guess my, my question as we begin our conversation is if, if we're unable to re reach any sort of consensus, um, what next as it relates to the system and uh, what our next steps would be? I, um, the scenario in which this board cannot make a decision I don't think is, is unprecedented. Um, and so I think it is the charge of the charter for this board to um, uh, pass the rates. Um, and if there's um, concern about the uh, rates that are presented, then we need to hear them in a public forum. Um, we do have the clock that I mentioned during the rates and benefits calendar presentation that we must send this package to the Board of Supervisors uh, on or before June 16th in order for all the approvals to take place in order for us to be able to issue insurance cards or our plans to issue insurance cards January 1. So it is a, it's a challenging um, responsibility that this board has, but that, that is what it is. And, um, uh, we um, have seven members of the board, and so there may be a split, but there um, there can be a vote uh, that uh, if the board doesn't approve this, um, we're, we're going to be stuck. I'm going to look to my city attorney here to figure out what the next steps are, but um, I'm hoping that uh, the diligence that our team has put into this recommendation um, is understood, um, and if there's any questions about that, we'll be happy to answer it. This, I think, um, you realize has has not been easy for either party in this negotiations because they uh, Kaiser does play a significant role, um, and um, I'm I'm concerned that our board um, needs to have a full appreciation um, that the increase for Blue Shield was quite steep as well and is serving a large number of our population. I also um, want to give you some level of not real comfort, but um, uh, understanding the, the governor of California has appointed a healthcare affordability board that has met twice. I um, attended virtually the meeting this week and as I was appointed to the advisory committee, this problem of the increase in cost of healthcare is um, certainly felt throughout California, if not the whole United States. So I think we have to um, put this decision, as difficult as it may be, we have to put it in context. Uh, we are looking for ways that we can, um, I don't know, spread the pain is the um, right way of saying it, but um, we're, in a, we're in a particularly difficult time with the budget in San Francisco you know, approaching the billion dollar, uh, billion dollar loss, and at the same time, you know, wanting, you know, having recruitment issues and, and wanting to, you know, hire more people, and this is a really rich, as we've seen in the um, presentations that Mr. Clark has done in the past, it's a very, very rich benefit, which we all enjoy, and we'd like to keep it that way as much as we can. Um, and it requires, I think, uh, sort of an all-in strategy that everything that this board can do, I think um, President Scott mentioned at the beginning of the meeting, the tools that are available to this board um, in order to try to manage the cost at this point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are there other questions, comments? Commissioner Savansky? Um, I'm going back to page 19. And I'm 
concerned that, I mean, I can see going from a $20 copay to a 25 um, in a couple of categories. Um, not thrilled about the pharmacy brand drugs, but I understand where that's coming from. My basic issue is inpatient hospital and outpatient surgery. Those copayment adjustments are extreme in my view. And I'm wondering if there was any opportunity or if Kaiser presented any other, uh, or if there was any other opportunity to discuss, to discuss with Kaiser some kind of mid-level changes that weren't so excessive from 100 to 200 or from 35 to 100 um, in these cases because I see that um, I realize the utilization and as we're getting older um, and with what's left of COVID that people are probably using inpatient and outpatient, um, especially the outpatient surgery a lot, but these are huge uh, copay increases. What were our options here? So the recommendation was to select this alternative to create the alignment uh, to the other existing HMO plans and in a sense in doing so maximize uh, the potential rating decrement for any plan design change alternative. Um, you know, we can essentially outline any degree of change between current and proposed. We didn't want to go farther than what's in place today with the uh, Blue Shield and HealthNet um, HMOs, certainly for this recommendation. Um, but this particular alternative was selected to bring as much of the rate decrement change into the recommendation. Um, while having a plan design that has basis in other HMO offerings from SFHSS. Thank you. Can I? Uh, yes, Commissioner Fallins. I, th I think the strength of this recommendation is exactly that, that it does bring everything in line. I, I, I just want to um, throw out some cautionary comments. Um, one is um, that you prefaced your first presentation on sort of the methodology for all the plans regarding on the fact that we saw less utilization um, because of COVID or whatever, um, and that our four main areas of concern are cancer, muscle skeletal, cardiovascular disease, and mental health. And um, although the studies focus often regarding the effect of increased co-pays and share of costs on um, people with uh, um, in, in, who are not don't have employer subsidized health care so either through ADA through the America, through the ACA or through um, through other um, you know government sponsored health plans um, the impact is pretty consistent and that is that it decreases utilization um, in general um, because even these small differences and I particularly pointed out in terms of the pediatric you know those families um, there is no differential. So those you know, individuals with one, two, three, or four kids have to pay this copay for each of their children um, <clears throat> well. Now, obviously, certain things like immunizations will be covered, et cetera. I'm assuming, and all, there's no change. But, and so I don't know whether if they come in for a, just an immunization, whether they get charged a copay or whether that's covered free of charge without the office visit surcharge. 
But, um, but I do think that, um, that number one, those four areas, at least three of them strongly um, benefit from, um, mate, from sort of um, screening cardiovascular disease, cancer, um, and mental health, number one. And so we seem like we run the risk of increasing that if we decrease utilization in those areas. And number two is that we need to be very clear that, number one, we're shifting costs from the well who don't use any services or have any prescriptions to the ill. Um, this is going to benefit, this is going to hurt those people who, who are ill, who do need multiple visits with primary or subspecialty care, and are on medications. It may encourage our members to say to their providers, gee, is there a brand name, is there a non-brand name, is there a generic drug that I can use? Because my share costs, and maybe particularly in the area of mental health where there's so many um, advertised drugs for mental health conditions, that maybe there are generics that might be better utilized. And so this may help our members maybe refocus some of their control over these costs. Um, but I think in general, um, number one, this is the wrong direction in general. And so if I vote in favor of you know, your, the modification <clears throat> to, the, to the benefits this year, trust me, um, if this is, becomes a trend um, in subsequent health plan offerings, um, I will be very suspicious um, uh, about this approach to costs because you know, there's no way around it. The main benefactor from our approving the, the the new plan as recommended is to the city. Um, the, sh the, sh the share cost goes up in both scenarios for our members, but clearly the city gets the largest percentage um, benefit. And so do we want our employees and early retirees who are non-Medicare um, uh, non um, to make a voluntary contribution essentially to help the city out in a time when the city is under tremendous financial press pressure, and that's what this does, is ask them to do that. All right. Are there other comments? Well, the only right. comment I have is, you know, the decision is, do you want to increase the co-pays or do you want to increase the monthly uh, premium? And I used to think which would be better. Years ago, there was always kind of, well, the monthly premium would be better or vice versa. And for certain st categories like the actives, frequently don't pay this anyway. The unions pick up a lot of this stuff as far as a premium. They don't pick up the co-pays, if I'm correct. And so for them, it's better to uh, increase the monthly contribution rather than the co-pays. So but for the early retirees, you know, they get hit both ways. So. Yeah, and for instance, page 23 and page 28, that may be a helpful comparison uh, to look at the 2024 member contributions that would occur on page 23 uh, for the 93, 93, 83 actives, as well as the early retirees um, under the status quo design. And then page 28, um, the same populations for the uh, with changes. So the top row are the member contributions. So the status quo, for just to be clear for the retirees, on page 23 is indicated at $14.90. 
and then when you that's with the, the current plan design correct with with the design changes that changes to zero actually eight dollars eight dollars and eighty eight cents so it's fourteen dollars ninety cents versus eight dollars and eighty eight cents correct about a six dollar monthly differential okay and are they currently paying anything uh, that uh, tier early retiree retiree only is paying zero contribution today all right so under either plan there will be some cost as a change in cost to these retirees correct all right just to be clear on that point yeah mm -hmm. definitely are there other questions or comments from the board I'm ready to entertain a motion I just have one comment. Yeah. So um, I, I don't expect you to answer. I'm just expressing just I think the, the 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 pickle that I feel like the board is in because we do have our fiduciary you know responsibility to um, the trust and to the membership, and it feels like here we um, have to. It, it's this delicate balance of how to consider both. The, the sustainability of plans and and the costs and the impacts of that. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Howe. Uh, Mr. President, if I may make a motion, but a, a comment first, uh, based off Certainly. of uh, our, our conversations and what I've heard uh, from the membership, um, I, I think the true value of, of this plan uh, for a majority of members that I hear from uh, tends to be the uh, low co-pays. And, and I think to Commissioner Fallensby's uh, comment uh, earlier, our, our concern and care for uh, our aging population, any sort of disincentive to receive ongoing care, I view as um, uh, more of a uh, harm to the system, to our members, uh, than to try and balance out um, uh, and, and align with, with our other plans. So. Uh, with, with that being said, um, I would like uh, to make a, a motion, uh, Mr. President, uh, that we approve um, with my colleague, uh, Commissioner Savansky's comment uh, with, with great reservation, uh, the status quo plan design with the uh, rate uh, increases as presented and incorporated within the rate cards. Uh, and, and again, that is the status quo plan design is what the motion is for. And, right. and that is the 3A section rate cards, just to be clear. Right. So with that restatement, or I'll re reinforce that particular point, that would be the monthly rate cards in this presentation starting at page 22. So it's option 3A is the proposed motion. Is there a second? And that's with no design change. No design changes. A second at all right, it's been moved and seconded that we adopt the option 3A as presented in this presentation by our actuary, which results in about a 12.5% increase in premium rates uh, for members, members participating in this plan. That's the motion. All right, so on that motion, we will take public comment. 
Thank you, President Scott. Secretary. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue at this time. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Welcome. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Bianca Polavina, and I am a city worker. I'm a Kaiser member, and I'm also an elected officer in my union, IFPTE Local 21. Um, so I'm speaking you today, to you today um, in my official capacity as an elected officer of my union. Um, a little bit more about us, Local 21, we're the second largest miscellaneous public sector union here in the city and county of San Francisco. We represent about 5,800 CCSF employees. And over 2,500 of our active members are today enrolled in this Kaiser HMO plan. IFPTE Local 21 agrees that the status quo plan being identified here today as 3A is the best option for our membership right now. Um, as this commission has pointed out earlier, the significant changes in the proposed plan design changes to increase the co-payments would have real and substantial everyday costs for those over 2,500 of our members. And that's just for our local, that's not for the other uh, city workforce. Um, so we are asking the board here today for two things, to vote in support of this motion, to preserve the status quo plan for the coming plan year. And um, we're also asking this board to engage with us in a proactive way, um, not only being transparent with labor, with the workforce in your negotiations with providers, but also on ways that we can all collaborate better. It's no surprise to anybody here that the city and county of San Francisco is one of the largest employers in San Francisco and in the entire Bay Area. And collaborating with the workforce here, the tens of thousands of city workers who actually make this city run is only going to provide benefits for everybody, employer, employee, and the community alike. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Is there other comment in the room? Uh, board Secretary, I see none. We'll move to our remote public comment, and I'll be checking to see if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. We have four callers in the phone line. One caller has specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. There'll be a brief pause as I transition between callers. Welcome, caller. Yes, uh, good afternoon. This is Frank Bratz from the San Francisco Municipal Attorneys Association. I'm a board member and I represent uh, basically a group of public defenders. Can you hear me? Can you still hear me? Yes. yes. Okay, uh, public defenders, district attorneys, city attorneys, and various other uh, legal public uh, employees. And I would join with the last commenter. Uh, we, are, we are very concerned about the rate increase and how they were arrived at. And we believe that at this point they have not been justified. So I would enter a general objection to the rating. I'm sorry. We Call, sorry. Caller, we, we're having a hard time hearing you. Is this better? Yes, proceed. 
Okay, if, I'm so sorry. Just a moment. If you would start, you said, I think we heard you up to the point that you said you had a general objection. That's the portion that we did not hear. Yes, we, I have a general objection on, on behalf of our members for the increases uh, as set out in today's presentation. And may I, just for clarification, the increases to the co-payment uh, option that was outlined in uh, option B or the increases to the premium under the status quo, which is, where, which is the main motion, 3A. So which increases, or is it all of them? All of them. All right. Thank you for that clarification. No problem. Thank you, caller. I, I yield to anybody else who wants to comment. Thank you. Thank you. We still have four callers in the phone line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. I'll give a five-second um, brief pause for anyone who wants to join the public comment queue at this time. Zero callers have raised their hand. Public comment is now closed. All right. Thank you. We are now ready to do a roll call vote. Uh, Mike, do you have anything else you want to add at this point? Nothing more. I just came up in case okay. there were any further questions before the vote. All right. Excuse me. So we President, are voting. President Scott, yes. may, may I ask? Uh, I have a technical question on the agenda. The, uh, the staff recommendation in the presentation was to adopt it with plan design. And so uh, I believe the motion was different than the staff recommendation. And I just want to call that to your attention to see yes. if procedurally if there's anything that we need to do. Thank you. The staff recommendation was for uh, 3B in the presentation. The motion that was made and properly seconded and discussed is that we do not accept the staff recommendation, that we vote on option 3A, the status quo design, with the resulting percentage increase in the rate cards that are identified in that option, starting at page 22 in the presentation. So if we're all clear on what we're voting on, I'll now call on the board secretary to call the roll call vote. Thank you. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Nay. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Excuse me. There we go. Uh, one more time, Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. I believe the roll call vote results in a six to one uh, uh, voting. As a result, the motion is carried. Uh, with that, I would like to thank uh, Mike Clark and his team, and I'd like to thank the uh, HHS staff and leadership for their diligent work on all of these proposals that we have seen today. Uh, I know that it's been a lot of work uh, down to the, almost the last minute, if you will, to look at this, look at these options and the resulting, make the resulting recommendations. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, if I may ask Executive Director Yant, there is a hold for June 12th. Are you able to 
address that or it still remains a hold on the benefit um, rates and benefit capital? Uh, it still remains a hold because it really has to do with how well received the Medicare plans are. Thank you. Okay. All right. Is there anything else? As far as I can tell, we're ready to now take up item number nine, and it requires no discussion, and I, as the chair, declare this meeting of the Health Service Board adjourned. I love that cable.